When prejudices and the gospel collide, that's what's going on here in James chapter 2. This, uh, as you'll see as we, we unpack this, he's using the word partiality, or some of your versions might use the word favoritism, but I just went with our cultural word of prejudice, because that's what's going on here. And what James will do is as he's walking us through this section of scripture, he's going to just bring all sorts of gospel thoughts to our hearts as it relates to our prejudices. Here's the big idea. Christian living is more than an empty faith. True Christianity is to permeate all of life, including our prejudices. So that's the, that's really, we, we could say that's the big idea of the entire book. This letter, James, is about how our gospel faith is not to be just something that we have knowledge of, but it is to seep into all aspects of our life. That's why we've been saying, you know, James lives in our living rooms. James drives with us to work. The point that James is making, if he was to drive to work, is that the gospel is to function as we drive to work, as we go about our day. It is a, it's a street-level Christianity. It's lived out on the streets. Another way to put the big idea is simply this. Christianity that is rooted in the gospel is to have teeth. It's to have a bite to it. So we live in a culture that prides itself in its prejudices, all while denying that we're prejudicial or pretending not to be prejudiced. Our culture prides itself in power, in influence. It prides itself with the name of the university on a printed piece of paper in a frame. It prides itself in one's education and position and race and gender and class and, 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 all the while fooling itself that I'm not prejudiced. I dare say that if I was to ask 10 of us this morning, are you prejudiced? That 10 of us would say no. that was so we can pack up our bibles and go home this scripture has nothing to say to us partiality favoritism prejudice is the air that we breathe ours is a culture of divisiveness ours is a culture of one-upmanship tribalism partiality Pride in my tribe. One up the other person. Racial, political, moral, educational, class. It's one view pitting itself against another's view and jockeying for position and while doing so, running over one's opponent. That's happening in this passage. We have to recognize Trinity where we live. I don't mean where, well, yeah, we could say where geographically. I mean where on the timeline of history. We live in 2019, let's go ahead and go geographical, Brevard County, God has placed us here in this time. 
in a culture that's full of prejudicial thinking? Christ came and he lived in his day in a world that was prejudiced too. The culture of Christ's day had its rules and he came and broke the rules. He broke the rules that said as a Jewish man, he was to not associate with those people. He broke all those rules. A Jewish man was certainly not to, well, all Jews were certainly not to engage with a Samaritan, mixed blood Samaritan. A Jewish man certainly wouldn't engage with a Jewish woman in the same way a Jewish man, and we find Jesus going to a Samaritan woman. You're not to engage with the unclean, the lepers. We find Jesus engaging the lepers. You're not to associate with certain immoral people. We find Jesus associating with the immoral people, the unclean sinners. We see Jesus welcoming the women. That's why I love the gospel of Luke. Because that, that gospel unpacks more than the others. Here's Jesus going to the unclean, going to the women. Children, come unto me. He goes to the poor, he goes to the weak, and as he's doing so, he's breaking all the prejudicial rules of his day. And Christ has come and he's saved us and he's redeemed us in Trinity. This is where we live. And if I could say at the outset, this is where I fail. Partiality, favoritism, prejudices. It wants to rule me and rule you. It justifies itself. It tells me that my favoritisms, my prejudices are okay and even reasonable or even appropriate. And James speaks to the Christian, the believer, not, not, not the Christian in name only, but, but the individual who's saying, no, I have a faith in Jesus Christ and I want to live out my faith. James speaks to us. You know what he speaks? He speaks you as the redeemed community. You have a new culture. You have a redeemed culture. Yes, you live in this culture, but, but through Christ, Christ has given you a new culture, a culture that now seeks to, rather than live for itself, it seeks to die to itself in the name of Christ. It seeks to exalt Christ and so James calls us out of the shadows, or if I could put it this way, James calls us out of the building and onto the streets. And he says, faith doesn't simply live in here. It lives out there. And James has the audacity to think that what we do and say says more about what we believe than what we say we believe. Did you track with that? 
Say it again. James has the audacity to think that what we do and say says more about what we believe than what we say we believe. So let's dive into this passage. And God, give us grace, give us help. Transform us by the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Number one, partiality and gospel glory. I love the way this section begins. My brothers. Let's be reminded that James is writing to brothers, brothers in Christ. I believe we can add sisters. My brothers and sisters, the redeemed community. He says, show no partiality. And I need to remind you who these brothers are. Remember James 1.1? James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Remember how we, we unpack that? That, that as, as readers of this letter, we should hear the word of the dispersion and we should go, well, we could replace that word. Of the suffering. To the 12 tribes who are suffering, to the 12 tribes who are refugees, to the 12 tribes who have cast, been cast out from your homes, show no partiality. Now here's what's in interesting to me about that. Because to, to give you a picture of who these people are, they're the suffering, they're, they're, they're the ones who are being shown partiality towards and it's what's interesting to me about that is that it doesn't matter where you, at, you're, you are at in the classes, even the lowly, right? That's these guys. Even when lowly, the exhortation still needs to come. Show no partiality. And we would kind of think that's upside down. We kind of think, oh, well, it's the wealthy who show partiality. And they certainly do. But this exhortation, know this, it's going out to the sufferer. The sufferer who's gone to his fellow Jews, these are converted Jews, these are Christian Jews who are in this dispersion, and now going out to surrounding areas, they're receiving no hospitality from their fellow Jews who are not converted Christian. Not welcome here, and as they turn to the Gentiles, certainly not welcome there, Even in that position, that status, the exhortation still comes to them and comes to us. Show no partiality, my brothers. As you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, as you hold the faith, meaning faith has teeth. It's not just faith this knowledge of something, or it's not, as some people think, take a blind leap of faith, but no, it's, it's, it's not a token faith. It's not an empty faith. But as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's going to affect how you live your life, is what James is saying. And yes, you have been saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. It's a genuine faith. And yet the reason why we're going through James, having followed up from Galatians, is that James is saying, and that faith is never alone. So show no partiality, my brothers, as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lord of glory. He's saying true faith 
Genuine faith responds in activity, in action. And specifically here, it does away with, it wrestles against the prejudices of our hearts. Some of you are still among the 10 out of 10 and you're thinking, I don't know why he's preaching this section. I'm not prejudicial. Stick with me. We'll get there. But our faith is never alone. Keep in mind where these verses are, right? Meaning the context, the wider context. So we heard Josiah preaching last week, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror and after he looks at himself and goes away, he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so James is, is unpacking for us this idea that your, your faith is not lonely. It's active, and this is where we're going next week. Steve will be preaching next week. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith without works is dead. That's before our passage this morning and after our, that's our passage is smack right in the middle of that. Brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Here's the thing, partiality Prejudice, favoritism, it's all about glory. As you hold the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the ruler of glory, the sovereign one of glory, he is glory. And partiality is all about the glory that's ruling our hearts because we were made for glory. We were made as worshipers. It's how we're hardwired. It's in your DNA. There's no avoiding it. When you stand at that mountain peak and the sign tells you these are the seven states that you're looking at in each direction and your heart goes, wow, you were made for that. It's glory. But there are two kinds of glory. There's the created glory that you observe at the top of the mountain peak, and then there's the creator glory. He made those mountain peaks. And the, to stand on top of the mountain peak, this isn't the end here to look around and go, wow, it's to look around and go, wow, my God does that. This week we had the opportunity to do a kayak tour for with a day away some friends were down from Maryland and so we went out and it was dark and it was getting dark and we're we're out Hollover Canal and 
I don't know where we're at, but it's dark. All you can see at this point is the other people's little nightstick glowing. And then you can look up and it's dark. But then you've got all these stars. And it's a wow moment. But it doesn't end there, does it? We were wired for awe. We were wired to worship. We were wired for glory. But that, that landscape was created by our God to draw our gaze and affection away from that to the God who made that. Our God made that. We're so used to it, we see it every day, we don't think much of it, but our God made that. And one is a glory, the created thing, glory, exists to point us to the Lord of glory, the God of all glory. Awe of the created thing ought to lead us to awe of the creator of that thing. And so here's what's going on in the passage. This partiality, this favoritism, this prejudice is, is glorying in appearances. It's glorying in the created thing. The appearance of wealth, of influence, of power, of position, of who you know, what's your pedigree, of race, of gender, of image. When my heart is ruled by any created glory, then my heart has lost its way. And the result of a heart that's lost its way, the result of a heart that's being ruled by the created glory, partiality, prejudices, they'll be right there, right behind. And so I say to you, church, there's a glory war that's going on in our hearts. And James 2 is this radical call to Christian faith. It goes against our hearts that wants to glory in the created thing, the created thing, the stuff of this world, to glory in that, frankly, it makes sense if there is no greater glory. Tracking? It makes sense to glory in position and wealth and class and status and what's your pedigree if there is no greater glory. We are not atheists. We are not agnostic. We believe in, love, and worship the Lord of glory. Wealth and race and education and power and influence and position and, and, and. That's what my heart wants to glory in. And Christianity is a call out of the world's way of thinking and the world's way of living. Listen, we're not talking about some social justices. We're talking about faith, gospel faith that influences how do I live my life. Here's the thing. What time did worship service begin this morning? Shout out. 10 o'clock. Here's the thing. What time did worship begin this morning? Somewhere around 9.45 when we began to size each other up. 
our hearts are wired for worship. Suddenly a person, and that's the, the picture here in James, is, is that the, it's the time of the assembly is going on. A person is parking in our parking lot. Someone of recognition, someone of wealth, maybe someone we, we don't recognize, but wow, they just pulled in next to your rusty minivan with a brand new Tesla. Your minivan's looking a little rustier next to that brand new Tesla. And suddenly you feel this desire. You've, you've been hearing exhortations about hospitality. And suddenly this desire towards hospitality begins to rise up within you. I need to reach out to Tesla family. More than willing to invite that family over for lunch. But oddly enough, you've been ignoring the hardened looking, tattoo sleeved man and his wife with all those piercings. One is welcomed, one is endured at best. One is respected, one is maybe even dissed. Why? Because culture rules our hearts more than the Bible does. And in verse four, he's gonna bring us to this place. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We might think of this as kind of a gray area. James doesn't. It's kind of a gray area that we kind of create a little bit of favoritism here or there that we're influenced by this or that position or wealth or status or whatever it might be. Or we might even think of, you know, some of these things are probably kind of a preference issue. Maybe Tim's preaching some of his preferences. If I was preaching my preferences, I wouldn't preach this. It's not a preference issue. It's not a gray area. It's not a preference issue that I include or I don't include certain persons based on their dress or their appearance or my favoritisms, also known as prejudices. James calls it straight up. It's evil thinking, brothers. This wealthy family, they, they might be a good family for our family to get to know. Did you know they own a yacht? They've taken other families on the yacht to the Bahamas. Maybe we could get an invite. But that poor family, that's a family we want to avoid. I think they'd like to borrow my canoe. See, we show partiality to one because we have something to gain. And even if it's not monetary gain, we gain recognition, we gain position. I know so-and-so. While on the other hand, we're only offered with the possibility of losing. What will it cost me? And where James is taking us, silence our cell phones. Where James is taking us, is brothers, 
Show no partiality as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And it is to be a reminder for us. He's the Lord of glory. What does that mean? What, 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 what is the reminder there? Oh, the reminder is that this is Jesus Christ, our Savior, who left his glories in heaven. To come and redeemed, redeem the despised. We are the outcasts. We are the unclean that Christ came. Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, the glory of God did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, who left his glory to come to the poor, not speaking monetarily, the poor in spirit, the wretched, to breathe new life into you and I. Your faith should have teeth because he's the Lord of glory. 2 Corinthians 8 9 tells us that he became poor that we might become rich. Again, not monetarily. Number two, partiality, insanity. It's verses five through seven. As I read these verses, I think this is just insane. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you have been called? The point here that James is making isn't that poverty is what's going to save you. It's not a call to become a monk or a nun or go into an aesthetic lifestyle. It's not what he's talking about because sometimes poor people don't repent. Poverty isn't what brings you to salvation. And sometimes rich people do repent and use their wealth for the glory of God. Rather, verse 5 Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? It's the gospel that tells me and tells you we're poor. We're poor. We thought we were rich. We thought we were rich in righteousness. We thought we had it together. We, we even think that I'm good enough to present myself in my goodness, in my good works, in my good efforts. I'm good enough to present myself to the Lord of glory. And the gospel comes in and it busts us and it tells us, oh, you're, you're not only not good enough, you are poor, poverty struck in your righteousness. You have nothing to bring to the party of righteousness. 
your best day is nothing to bring. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I'm not just kind of poor. You're not just kind of poor. We are poverty stricken. There are no means for us in our poverty to in some way, right? Like we live in America and if you're poor, you know, and and if you're on this side of the aisle, then you're told, then you just need to be more responsible and you need to work harder. And you can, if you, if you work hard enough and get yourself educated, you can work your way out of your um, poverty. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you're poor, you are utterly, entirely poor, and you have no means within yourself to pull yourself out of that pit of empty righteousness, poverty-stricken righteousness. You can't pull yourself out. You have no means to pull yourself out of the pit of our moral poverty. You can't buy your way out. You don't have the money to buy it. You can't earn it. That's why I like so much how Isaiah 55, 1 puts it. Listen to the wording. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Hey, wait a minute, right? Like, huh, what? Like, those of you who have no money, Come and buy and eat. What a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, buy wine and milk without money and without price. How does that work? Well, that works because Jesus worked on our behalf. Because of the righteousness of Christ, Isaiah is prophesying with Christ in view. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Because Christ's righteousness, not ours, is what allows you to come to the communion table this morning and take that bread and drink of that juice And come to the bread of life who is Jesus Christ. The doctrines of grace are humbling and God glorifying. They're humbling in, the, in, a, in our recognition. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the, those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? It's humbling for us to come to terms with how poverty stricken we were without Christ. And it's God glorifying. You, the poor, have been made rich in the blessings of the kingdom of God. The riches of Christ has been poured out into you. Again, if you're not familiar with these scriptures, I'm not talking about, it's it's not talking about, oh, come to Jesus so you can be wealthy and rich and have lots of money. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about you are empty and poor in your righteousness. You got nothing. And then placing your faith in Christ, he gives you all his righteousness. I got nothing. Can't come and buy and eat. Here's my righteousness. Now here's the insanity of this section of scripture. How is it 
that we the poor who were familiar with our poverty and probably the more we're growing in the doctrines of grace, we're more aware of how poor we once were outside of Christ. How is it that the poor could become proud and divisive? How is it that the poor could become partial? Listen, it's the doctrines of grace that informs us about this passage of scripture that drives us to a faith that is actively living in our world, in our day, but we forget from where we came, and that's the insanity. Another way to put it, no one on the face of the earth should be more driven towards non-favoritism, non-prejudicial, non partiality than the redeemed and to that I just say God help us God help us when he talks about here that the rich are the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court and are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you've been called that was the reality in their day see the rich were taking advantage of these brothers and they would literally take them to court they would so oppress them, they would oppress them, then they would jump on their back and oppress them further. They stuck it to them to no end. And yet, these individuals would turn around and find someone lower than them and do the same. God help us. Partiality in the law, number three. It's verses eight through 11. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. It might feel like James is kind of jumping around a little bit, but he's not. He's not moving on to a new subject. He's actually saying when we show partiality, we're failing to observe the law to love your neighbor. We are lawbreakers and verse 10 tells us if you really fulfill the royal law, um, no, sorry, that's verse eight, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. And so this is, this is no different in their day than it is in our day. Partiality towards people and now partiality towards the law. They're just picking and choosing. They're just going to be partial towards individuals. What will this individual offer me? What can I get from this relationship? I can't get anything from this relationship over here. So let's play favorites and let's move over here. And now they're doing the same thing with the law. Right? It's, it's what I like to say. You know, God's word isn't a buffet table. It's not for us to pick and choose. I don't really like the shrimp, so I'm going to skip the shrimp. Like, I don't really like James chapter 2. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to skip James chapter 2. No, the, the, the scripture is brought to us for us to be transformed by scripture for the glory of God. And so they're being partial towards the law. And what James is saying in verse 10 is to be partial, to break one part of the law is to break all of the law. Partiality wants to pick and choose God's law. 
certainly doesn't want to jump into you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We can tend to observe that which suits us best. And this one, I like this one best. I don't like that one so much. And I can show favoritism because it suits us better than love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, that sounds really broad. It's radical Christianity, James is. We could say of James chapter one, it's, it's really to a good extent, it's about uncomfortable grace. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness must have its full effect that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. What is that? That's uncomfortable grace. That's gonna, that, that sounds like sanctification. That sounds like growing. Wow, looks good on a webpage. Looks good as a motto for a church. Trinity exists partially, right? Treasure Christ. Grow in Christ. Proclaim Christ. But I want that grow in Christ thing to come without adversity. Can I do that? Can I do it without the adversity, please? Well, James 1 says no. It's going to come through trials of various kinds. And so chapter 1, we could title it Uncomfortable Grace. Chapter 2, we could title it Uncomfortable Christianity. Did you hear As Josiah was preaching last week, the end of chapter one, that's some uncomfortable Christianity. And can I encourage you to read your Bible right through that chapter break? How does one end? It ends with religion. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. No chapter break. Show no partiality, my brothers, as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Uncomfortable Christianity. It's so simple, isn't it? Verses eight through 11. It's not like, how do I wrap my head around this? And yet it's so difficult. It's so easy to understand. It's so hard to live. Simply just do verse eight. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, he says. That'll be the end of prejudice in your life. But you want to know what's so hard? Verse eight. (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. Second great commandment. Remember the first, love God with all that you are. I love God means I will love neighbor. To say I love God and I hate my neighbor is to be prejudiced. It's to be partial. It's to be favorite. Partiality then is the tip of the hat that reveals our faith. It exposes not what we say about what we believe. The actions behind that, the actions behind that faith reveals this is truly my heart. We're flagrant lawbreakers. So James is saying you don't get a pass for law partiality. We all have our favorites. 
Some of us are passionate about God's commands regarding mission. Some of us are passionate about God's command about prayer. Some of us are passionate about God's priority about purity. And we can continue to fill in the blanks about our pet passionate thing. And James is saying there's no partiality here when it comes to the word of God. Number four, partiality and motive. Verses 12 and 13. If the worship team, if you would come and join me. Listen again, verse 12. So speak. So, so see, he's pack, unpacking all this so he gets to this point. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Don't, right? Hey, hmm, don't anybody want that? Like, I want to be judged under the law of liberty, under the law of freedoms or the law of mercies. Please, judge me under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy for those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow. Partiality leads us to judgment. I mean, we become the judge, right? James is going to say more about that later as well. Who are you to judge? <laughs> Your neighbor is what he's going to say. Partiality leads us. This prejudice leads us to judge other people, right? We judge them for a sleeve full of tattoos or um, piercings or for hoops in the air or whatever it might be that brings about that judgment. So what does James do? He takes us to gospel mercy. He takes us to gospel mercy. The law judges and it judges you to be guilty. What's the judgment of the law? Guilty. Condemned. No hope. And yet because of the mercy of God, listen, we're judged through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. How are you judged? What's the judgment that's been brought to you? Innocent of all lawbreaking. I mean, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around this. You are completely innocent of all lawbreaking. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're not just kind of enough forgiven. You're not just kind of sort of uh, judged innocent for your lawbreaking, just enough for you to enter heaven one day. You are judged entirely, completely, as if you never broke a law. How can that be? Well, because Christ's sacrifice is greater than your disobedience to God. We are flagrant lawbreakers. We continue to be lawbreakers even post-salvation. On a grand scale, Christ died for that. He died for that. He died for that. He died for that. And James is telling us, look, Oh, don't you want to be judged by the law of liberty? Yes, please. 
because the law condemns me. And yet because of the mercy of God, you and I are being judged through the work of Jesus Christ and you are judged innocent of all lawbreaking. That is mercy. So Romans 8 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's done with. No more. Why? Because Christ was judged on your behalf. He received the judgment. As Rick said earlier, it's not just, hey, everybody's pardoned. Everything's forgiven. No, Christ paid the pardoned price to free you. This means, this means Christ died for my prejudices. This is mercy. And mercy has freed you. You and I are, we are a people of mercy. And that, James is wrapping up his point here, that's what's to drive our mercy. Faith has teeth. It goes out from the four walls and it goes out there with teeth. We are a people of mercy. And so he says, so speak and so act. I think if I understand it right, Steve, help me later on if I get it wrong, but I think these are present active imperatives, which means keep speaking, keep acting. Just so you know, I just got Steve's approval. He's nodding his head in the back. That's right. Present active imperatives. It means you, you, you continue. This is so keep speaking and so keep acting in a, in a, in a manner of mercy. So Trinity, who is the poor? Who is the downtrodden? Who is the hurting? Who is the weak? Who is the disabled? Who is that one that you say, no, not him, no, not her, but let me go over here. Who is the dismissed? Who is the broken around us? So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty to the glory of God as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Brothers, sisters, let's stand together and let's sing and worship our God of mercy.